It's time for episode 160 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, October 26, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the spooky tech podcast that's not gobbling up your time. I'm your co-host, Dan Warren, (laughs) and my groaning co-host from across the internet is Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Uh, Trick or treat, Dan. Uh, Trick. Okay, uh, you have to do a podcast with me. Ah, son of a... Uh, This is a tech podcast, my introduction notwithstanding, and we're joined, as always, to talk about four tech topics, two excellent guests to my left... It's Krista Mergan, the uh, co-founder uh, of Civil Comments. Hi, Krista. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Welcome back. She also designed SixColors.com, which is really awesome, and uh, people keep complimenting me, <laughs> me on the design, and it wasn't me, it was Krista. And to my left, it's uh, senior editor at the Wirecutter, uh, now freshly minted New York Times employee, I guess. It's Dan Frakes. Hi, Dan Frakes. Welcome back. Hey, Keith. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, kind of waiting to see what happens tomorrow. You you follow a long <laughs> list of people going from Macworld to the New York Times, including David Pogue and Brian Chen, and uh, now, uh, yeah, the Wirecutter, too. Yeah. We're quite, All of us. The theater, clearly. Um, uh, so this is the show where we talk about four tech topics. I'm today's designated co-host, so I will start first. I saw a post this morning about an Apple patent filing, and, you know, these, are, these things are a dime a dozen, but I was interested because it's about the idea of sort of leveraging uh, tracking lost devices using Bluetooth. Uh, which sounds very much like other products on the market, including Tile. Um, I'm curious to know if you guys have used any of this or you have any interest in something like this or, or what you think about the idea of Apple implementing such a feature in iPhones. Krista, what do you think? I'm really interested in in, in seeing what they'll do with this. Um, I haven't used Tile myself, but my husband has um, the Tile keychain. So this is not the one that makes sound, but um, it has come in handy for him in the past. Um, he's found his keys in weird places. Um and so so he's he's had success with that. I could see it being a thing, but at the same time, it's sort of like it doesn't seem like an exciting enough problem for Apple to solve. You know, it's sort of like it's kind of a mundane thing that sort of fixes a negative thing. Um, when I when I think of Apple, I think of them sort of opening new worlds with with new exciting products. And this sort of seems like meh. I don't know. So it, I'll, I'm curious, though. I have been interested in this category for a long time. I used to have these little like chips that you could put on your keychain and they had little batteries in them and then there was like a base station and you could walk around pressing a button on the base station and they would chirp. And the idea was how do you find your lost keys? And this was like in the 90s, right? So this has been going on for a while now. Uh, the problem is that the things are too big. Like the things are too big. The stuff I lose is too small and the trackers are too big. So if there is a standard and then all devices uh, support it, that would be great. I think something like the uh, AirPods that could probably get lost and it would be a good way to find something like that. I think that would be really great. I think in luggage and stuff like that, that it's not a bad use of it if you've got space to put them in. But for me, it always came down to for something like keys that uh, or, or a small object. Like I'm not going to stick a square on the back of some small object and then have this uh, you know encumbrance on it just because I'm afraid I might lose it. So I think it's a cool idea. And this is one of those things where the tech just needs to get smaller so that every device can send out that ping and every other device can find it. And and I do think that eventually we will have that because we already have that for all of our sort of cellular and internet connected devices that have location in them. So it just needs to be more miniaturized. And I'm looking forward to that day because I uh, don't know where I put my 
my keys. <laughs> we actually have a bunch of tiles in our house and use them all the time. I lose my keys more than I should as a someone in my age, but um, it's great. And I, I love the idea. It's, it, I agree with, um, with Krista that it's kind of bizarre for Apple to do this. Uh, it, it, the, the issue here, I think for a lot of these is that you, you have to have a certain size to get something that has enough battery so that the battery isn't dead when you're looking for it. Um, and that it has a speaker that's big enough to make sound. So like when you're looking for something, you can actually hear where it is. So, you know, tiles getting smaller. They've got a new mate that's like 30% smaller than the old one. They've got a slim that fits in your wallet. So you don't even notice it's there, but they're still like Jason says, they're really big. And I think what I'd like to see is that, you know, so many more things are getting Bluetooth that it's just part of being a Bluetooth device is that, you have a signal you send out so that things can find you, right? Like, wait, I have a Fitbit. And there's this amazing app called Fitbit Finder that saved my butt, like, at least a dozen times in the last few years. And all it does is that you launch it and it says, oh, there's a Fitbit nearby. Let me help you find it. And then it, it just detects the signal of the Fitbit's own Bluetooth uh, and then help, and then leads you to it. So um, I think that the ultimate solution here is going to be that everything has this feature built in and we won't need tiles. Yeah, I, well, that's kind of where I think they're going with it, which is interesting to me. Um, and I know I was reading about one of the, the newer tile models recently and the idea that it sort of turns in, turns everybody with the tile app on their phone into sort of like a big mesh network so that if you lose like your luggage that has a tile on it, and there are people at the airport who have the Tile app that they can, like, you know, obviously you're, you're using Bluetooth, not GPS, right? So you get out of range, you can't find it. But if you sort of create a crowdsourced network whereby nearby people can sort of say, oh, there's a lost luggage, you know, over here, it helps you find these things. So I, I like the idea, as Dan's suggesting, and I think what Apple's aiming for is the idea of having this built in um, so that, you know, because obviously with, uh, you know, iPhones and iPads, there are so many of them that it, it, you could easily leverage that to make a much bigger uh, network that would make it easier to find some of these things rather than relying on like smaller installed bases of stuff like tile. So uh, I think there's some interesting possibilities of leveraging that into sort of the find my iPhone stuff as well. Um, and, you know, possibly I, I don't know that Apple necessarily is, is ready to make, you know, like third party, like extra accessories to clip on the things. But I, I do agree with Dan that I think that integrating it into the devices slash the software could be a, uh, a really interesting improvement there. Um, so thanks for your thoughts on that. Our second topic today comes from Krista. Yes. So um, the Magic Toolbar. Uh, so there were some hidden Apple Pay photos that showed um, the Magic Toolbar on MacBook Pros. Um, those were discovered in the latest version of uh, Mac OS. I keep having to say Mac OS instead of Mac OS X. Um, it's hard to change. But anyway, um, I'm excited by this. Um, I think it's a great idea to have um, sort of a row of function keys that are, you know, app specific. I'm excited about possibilities of opening that up to, to third party developers so that each, um, you know, independent app could have its own specific functionality um, tied in. And people were freaking out that there was a missing escape button, but I just, you know, I think it'll, it'll I think it'll be there for most apps. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what you all think about this. Um, do you think it'll catch on? Do you think it'll be too awkward to get too much use? Or do you think it'll just become the new normal? I can sort of picture Apple saying, uh, function keys are, are a relic you know, we need more keys. There's no other interaction model we can have. So let's just add a row of keys up there that don't have anything on them except numbers. And uh, you'll 
figure it out and you'll map things to it. Nobody knows what they do and nobody touches them. And they, they started this path by mapping, you know, uh, volume control and brightness control and things like that and muting the audio all on the uh, all on those keys. So I think this is just another another path for them where they feel like there's a better way where they can put different labels up there and it can change over time just like it does on a on a, a an iOS device. So I can hear how they're going to how they're going to uh, going to pitch this. I'm curious exactly how it's all going to work is the um you know, are third-party app developers going to be able to connect in, or is it going to be more for system functions? We saw that it's got the Touch ID sensor on the right side, so it's going to be able to do Apple Pay, and it's going to have a little thing that says, you know, the, the screen will be able to say, you're, you're going to pay an arrow literally pointing at the Touch ID sensor, <laughs> saying, put your finger here to pay, buy this thing for $300. I think it says 300 some dollars to Apple, and I thought that's like, that's a good demo image, right? Give Apple money now. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think we're, I, I think it's a good idea it's all in the details, but I think uh, if you if you take a step back and you think, why do we have an extra row of keys that just generally have numbers on them? It's kind of dumb. Like it comes from an era where that was the thought was, well, what can we do to get more input? We'll just add a, a row of keys. And would we do that today? I think probably not. So I like the idea that Apple's kind of uh, rethinking it a little bit. But uh, again, how it's how it's uh, it's created and all the details are going to make the difference about whether it's frustrating to use or whether they get it right the first time. Time. Yeah, I, I agree with Jason. I think that the, the I use my 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 F keys all the time. I have keyboard keyboard maestro set up to have all these these uh, different function key um, shortcuts, and I have like my P touch label maker. Uh, I have all kinds of little labels next to each one saying this one will launch mail and do this, and because I can't remember which one is which, right? So <laughs> be, being able to actually have software go into software and label them so that it says you know safari this is this button is fantastic and um i'm looking forward to that and and the fact that it's the function keys which even touch typists don't really tend to to memorize where they're at they still have to look down at them you know if if we were talking about all the keys i think you know like what was the uh the optimus keyboard is that what it was a few years ago where every key was an oled programmable button but um no no for the f keys i think it's great and uh, i think jason's right that the big question is just going to be how can third-party developers take advantage of this? Are they going to have full access so that you can customize it for every app? If so, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm interested in it as well. I mean, I'm looking down on my keyboard now and just looking at the functions that I use very frequently. You know, we talked about volume and brightness and stuff like that, well, a lot of which could, in theory, be handled by gestures. Some of the other stuff I use gestures for, like expose, whatever the heck it's called these days, mission control. Um, and, you know, I think it really comes down to sort of the volume, the brightness, and the, the playback keys are the ones that I end up using most of the time. And a lot of those could be duped with with, uh, with gestures or used dynamically depending on what's going on. I, I think it opens up a lot of possibilities and a lot of uh, dynamic uses that, you know, have other in, in a field that has felt otherwise kind of stale and stayed. Like it opens up a new dimension there because there's a lot you can do with with gestures, with uh, user-definable buttons or developer-definable buttons, um, with Touch ID. I think all of those things are, are great additions. There might be some annoyances here and there, but, uh, you know, there's it's it all, as they said, the devil's in the details. I will say, though, that I think that their marketing catchphrase should be the new MacBook Pro, there is no escape. <laughs> <laughs> Krista, did awesome. we satisfy your curiosity? Yes, absolutely. Oh, there was one more thing. Um, does anyone think that there will be uh, like like tiny um, linear games that that people could animate oh my for God. this like little platformers? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a tiny platformer oh, I, you can I, just play. It's at your the, or the easiest version of Snake ever. <laughs> <laughs> Krista, if only you knew somebody who made platformers. <sighs> only. 
All right. Well, that's two topics down. We have two topics more to go. And uh, so I would like to tell you about our sponsor for halftime. It's our good friends at Linode. Linode is a combination of high-performance SSD, Linux servers. They've got eight different data centers around the world. That makes it a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You know, you can get a server up and running in about a minute. They've got a web-based tool. You click around a little bit, and boom, you've got a server on the internet. It's pretty amazing. You choose your resources, your Linux distro, your uh, node location, so where your server in uh, around the world is going to be located. And the plan started about $10 a month, and that includes two gigabytes of RAM. It's kind of of amazing. Linode has more than 400,000 customers already. They're all taken care of by a 24-7 support team that's even open over the holidays. If you have something you need help with, they will be there for you. Linode is committed to improving their infrastructure. They recently made an infrastructure change that improved the performance of all of their servers by 300%. All I had to do was reboot my server and boom, I got the performance gain. It's the full package for your server infrastructure needs. They've got power, they've got infrastructure, they've got assistance, they've got a fast... 40 gigabit network. It's pretty amazing what you can get done in the cloud on your own server on Linode. As a listener to Clockwise, if you sign up at linode.com slash clockwise, you won't just be supporting us. You'll get $20 off any Linode plan, a $20 credit for Linode and a seven-day money-back guarantee. So there's nothing to lose. Give it a try. Linode.com, L-I-N-O-D-E.com slash clockwise to learn more. Sign up, take advantage of that $20 credit, or just use the promo code clockwise20 at checkout. Thank you to Linode for supporting Clockwise. All right, halftime's over. Time for topic number three. This one's mine. Microsoft had an event today. Just as we are recording this, I think it is wrapping up. There's a bunch more 3D stuff. There's a bunch more augmented reality stuff. New Surface products, including Surface Book laptops and a Surface Studio that is kind of like an iMac, uh, except it kind of folds down into a into a drafting table mode and it's got a touchscreen on it. What is, just overall taking a step back, what's your read on where Microsoft is right now? Is this the most interesting they've been in a while, which is a tweet that I saw fly by this morning? Or uh, is it? Uh, are they going through the motions and it's just they're, they're trying stuff because they're Microsoft and they need to try? I'm just curious, do, does what Microsoft is doing excite you or not? Dan? Yeah, I think it's really exciting, actually. I think it's great for the industry, too, because um, Microsoft, they've, I, don't, I don't think they get enough credit for making really interesting or good hardware. Um, you know, the, the Xbox, of course, is popular, but even like mice, keyboards, things like that, they've actually always been really good at this kind of thing. They just don't do it enough. And they're also good at, at releasing something. And then even if it's bad, saying, okay, we're going to make it better. And then you know, improving on it. Like the Surface Pro is much better than the original Surface. It's like night and day. And uh, I think it's good for the industry. And I think it's good for Apple too, because, um, you know, haven't had new laptops in years. Um, the uh, <laughs> so, And they're not just boring Lenovo or Dell computers too. They're actually trying to make stuff that people want to buy that are, that are, that are interesting, that look nice, that have features that are, you know, kind of forward looking. So I'm actually kind of excited about this. I think having Microsoft... You know, Windows is Windows. It's boring. People don't really get excited about it. Um, when they come out with things like their VR stuff and their new desktop and and keep improving the Surface Pro, I think it's great for the industry. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think the Surface Studio in particular, their their desktop is, is a fascinating um, comparison because who else is really playing in this space, I feel like, besides Apple? Um, most companies, it seems like, you know, on the PC side, we have a lot of companies focusing on sort of the budget end or just very, very professional, like, workstation-type stuff. 
And then most other companies seem like we're playing a lot in the mobile space. But the desktop has kind of, you know, and, and for, for obvious reasons, the desktop has, has gotten less attention. But Apple has kind of, you know, been able to rest on its laurels. And, and not to say the iMac isn't a, a perfectly solid computer, um, but there isn't a drive or a push to really improve it much beyond where it is because it seems so often like everybody else is way, way in the rearview mirror. Um, so Microsoft, which is obviously is, is one of Apple's longtime frenemies i don't i don't know exactly what they are um are is is a good candidate i think to keep apple on its toes and and it seems to be producing interesting hardware and stuff that that looks really cool and does thing does you know has functionality that we're not seeing from apple so you know i I thought that that the surface dial this little dial that you can use either as a standalone controller or actually on the display of the uh the Surface Studio is really cool. The movable angle for the Surface Studio, so you can use it as like a drafting table thing, seems really clever. Um, you know, and, and Microsoft's going to do things its own way, but it's showing that it's interested in pursuing both the desktop and laptop markets and pushing them forward, which I, I feel like they've been both been pretty stagnant. And so uh, I think that helps Apple. And I think at the you know end of the day, it really helps consumers by giving them choices and by giving them more competition. So more power to Microsoft. I'm, I'm all in favor of it. Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm I'm excited about Microsoft for the first time in a while, and I feel like um, you know these are these are good steps um, forward for them. I it's weird to I had gotten into the mode of thinking of them as sort of um, the underdog, you know, like like they were they've definitely been they had been on a on a downward trend, but um, all of all of the the new stuff um, it's really cool. I I'm really excited about the um, the Surface Studio. Actually, I I really want to try it and check it out. I love. Um, I love that it that it can fold down into the drafting mode. You know, as a um, as a designer, um, it's really cool to um, to imagine using that. And I want to try it out. Like, I love the iPad Pro. Um, it's been you know amazing to use with the Apple Pencil. Like, I could see you know having that functionality in an iMac like um, computer would be really cool. But it'll just depend too on on sort of like how well they can um, they can do all of the input. Um, stuff with it because a big part of the iPad Pro and the and the Apple Pencil is is how well that um, that stylus really works uh, with the iPad Pro. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, but yeah, I could see that I could see that being really cool and really useful um, in this Surface Studio. The um, the dial uh, that Dan mentioned um, is interesting. So it's this little circular accessory, um, kind of looks like an Amazon dot that you can just plop onto the screen and then you get sort of a radial dial um, interface on the screen. Um, I think that's, I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see new things like that. It is, it is pretty innovative. I'm not sure what the real advantage would be over just creating sort of little radial, um, interface, you know, like little radial menus just on the screen that you would control with your finger or with a stylus. Like, I don't know why it would be better to use a physical dial than that, but I mean, maybe for some people it would be great and maybe I just need to try it, um, and see what it's like. But overall, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for Microsoft. Um, and I feel like they're, they're doing actual cool new things, so it's fun to see. It's it's funny. I think in some ways, Microsoft's uh, PC business is freed up by the fact that uh, it's no longer the core of what Microsoft does, that with under such and Nadella's leadership, they are trying all sorts of different things in different areas in the cloud. Uh, they, they, you know, it's not just all about Windows first and only, which I think it was in the Steve Ballmer era. And that's allowed them to do some interesting stuff. I like the idea that they are building the PCs that maybe they feel no, uh, none of their PC maker partners are going to build. It used to be forbidden for Microsoft to make 
hardware, right? That was the partner's job. And with the Surface line, Microsoft is saying, no, we're going to do it. We're, we're going to make hardware and we're going to make, I mean, that Surface uh, Studio is like $3,000. It is not, it is never going to compete with a $500 PC, nor is it meant to. Uh, and I, but I think that's great because that means that somebody needs to compete with Apple at the higher end of the, of the market and push this hardware stuff forward. And I think Microsoft quite rightly has decided that their partners are really not going to do it. So I think it's, I think it's great to see um, a different take on it and it pushes Apple. We are uh, at the point where we're probably a day away from an, a bunch of new Apple stuff on the Mac side, but Apple has been able to be comfortable and to rest on its laurels a little bit and because there hasn't been a whole lot of competition and they're distracted by um ios in a way that you know microsoft doesn't isn't as distracted by phones let's say so right (laughs) but i mean but it's true they microsoft cares I, i saw a tweet today that said microsoft cares more about the pc market than apple does and i i can't dispute that because although i do believe apple cares about the mac apple cares more about phones and and uh, or phones plus tablets so it's a great opportunity for microsoft and i hope that it makes apple respond as somebody who's pretty invested in the mac world i would really like it if apple uh got uh, some new priorities based on the presence of microsoft challenging them at their own game so we'll see one more topic to go dan frakes what do you have so uh, a few months ago, my car got a software update, which is a funny thing to say. Oh, no. um, and it got CarPlay just out of the blue. So I didn't have to buy a new car. It just my existing car got CarPlay. Um, and for years, I'd heard people say, eh, CarPlay, and they've criticized and say it's not good. For us, it's been like getting a totally new car. And um, I, I, I was really shocked by how good it was for the things that we use it for. And I'm just wondering um, – have any of you used it recently? Because apparently it's gotten much better since the initial release. Um, is it the kind of thing that would affect your your next car shopping experience? I'm kind of jealous now, Dan. <laughs> uh, my car is probably just a little bit too old since it's a 2012. Um, and the uh, I really hate the entertainment system on it and have since day one. So I, I really love the idea of CarPlay. I'm a little too cheap and lazy to go out and, and buy a third-party uh, receiver because I also hear that those are kind of pricey and don't all work very well. Um, I, I, I'm really interested in it. I've always liked the idea of it. Um, and especially with Apple focusing on more car stuff, it definitely seems like they've realized uh, there's obviously a lot to be done there. And I'm not sure, you know, obviously CarPlay seems like it may not be the the ultimate end-all be-all of car technology, but it seems like a huge improvement over what I have right now. Um, in terms of whether or not it's something that would affect a, a future car purchase, uh, maybe a little bit. I'm sure there are much, much bigger things, and and I'm not likely to be in the car buying market anytime soon. Um, but it, it certainly would be at least a bullet point. Although I got my fingers crossed that by the time I'm in the market for an actual car, even if Apple's not actually going to make a car, at least maybe they will have uh, partnered with somebody, and that might make a a, a pretty big impact as well. So I am in the car buying market, or I will be soon. I have one of the evil um, scandal Volkswagens, you know, the, uh, <laughs> oh, no, the, um, scandal wagon. Um, uh, yeah, I have the, I have a 2011, uh, Jetta TDI that we got a tax credit for, for, because it was so green, you know, it was so good for the environment. <laughs> oh, sad. Um, so we actually, I have looked into, you know, which cars have CarPlay, um, cause it does, you know, it is, a, it's a factor, but it's not a big enough factor like Dan said. Um, you know, it's something that would, it's a very much a, a nice to have, but it's not a make or break sort of thing. We're actually, um, we, 
are super interested in the Tesla Model 3, um, but also the the Chrysler Pacifica Hybrid, which is coming out um, early next year, supposedly. It's like a it's a minivan. Um, I've never been excited about a minivan. My late twenties self would like be making fun of me, but um, but yeah, it's like this minivan that gets eighty miles per gallon. And there there's only one Chrysler model that has CarPlay right now, um, and the Pacifica is not it. And I saw on a um, Chrysler minivan uh, fan forum, which exists in some corner of the internet, uh, that the Pacifica Hybrid is not going to have CarPlay. And I was a little disappointed, but it didn't put me off um, buying it. So. Um, so yeah, I would, it's, it's one of those things that's sort of like from, from everything that I've, I've read about it, it seems like the best, you know, option as far as, um, car entertainment systems go and integrating with your phone. Um, but it's not a make or break thing for us. I have a CarPlay, uh, head unit. It is sitting in my bookshelf because I use it to test CarPlay, but I didn't. <laughs> what kind of, so, what kind of MPG does that bookshelf get? The, the bookshelf. <laughs> I'll let you know when I start it up and take it around the block. Uh, it hasn't really moved in a while. So, uh, I bought it to 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 write about it basically, and uh, and honestly, CarPlay was so bad when I first bought it that I didn't bother. I was thinking I would put it in my car, and then I decided against it because it was so bad. It's <laughs> like I'll just keep my dumb Sony Bluetooth uh, receiver in the car. And something happened, and I think I, I think maybe um, people have different opinions of CarPlay based on when they saw they they saw it in their life because something happened after iOS 9 came out like with version 9.1 or something where CarPlay kind of turned the corner and became much better than it was before faster less buggy and Apple has continued to make improvements through iOS 10 so what Dan's seeing is uh sort of the reputation that CarPlay got is not what Dan is seeing in his car now and I love the fact I wish I I could go out to my car and suddenly it had CarPlay in it. But that would be weird because there's no screen or something. A man would have to come and break into my car and install CarPlay. Uh, that's a, one of the weirdest <laughs> crimes ever. So, uh, so I've thought about doing it now. I've thought about putting that uh, that uh, receiver in my in my car because I think it is. Uh, I think it's better. There's still more to be done, but I feel like uh, I feel like Apple's made a lot of progress there, sort of in the background. And I think one of the reasons Apple doesn't talk about CarPlay as much as maybe it should is that it kind of wasn't good enough for a while. And it's uh, it's it's uh, if you haven't looked at it for a while, uh, you might want to give it another look because uh, the iOS updates have made it a lot better than it was. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that after having it now, I would I would actually be really, that would be a big factor for us in buying a new car is going back to the crappy built-in systems that are in cars. Because the, the system that came with our car was terrible. And I, and I also, you know, our CarPlay's gotten better, but also, you know, it, it depends on your frame of reference, right? Like, Having the old one and then flipping a switch and having the new one, it was like, wow, I got a new car because everything in it worked better. Um, and I forgot who made this comment. Somebody wrote a blog about this. It, it might have been like Ben Badgerin or, um, or, or someone a couple weeks ago saying that CarPlay was a perfect example of Apple ecosystem at work. And, and I had to agree because when you have all this stuff, you, you, you look at maps on your, on your, on your Mac and you find something that you want to place you want to go. And then you walk to your car and it's already on maps on your phone. You plug it in. It shows up on your car screen. You press go. You're driving along and your Apple watch buzzes you to say turn here. It's, it's rather actually pretty, pretty stunning when it all works together. And it makes you really appreciate the fact that one company makes all this together. Um, and so I, we've really been liking it a lot. And, um, I've been raving about it to friends and they're all like, Really, I heard a CarPlay sucks. So I think Jason's right. It's people have heard about old stuff, but it's gotten a lot better. Um, and I will say that people complain about Apple Maps, but Apple Maps and CarPlay now is 
the best mapping app I've used. Well, that's uh, good news for everybody who's in a car buying market. Um, that also marks <laughs> our last topic, and we have just enough time for a bonus topic. I'm going to make it quick. Uh, what kind of candy will you hand out for Halloween if you are indeed handing out candy? Krista? Um, I got a big bag from Costco of 150 like mini bars that are like the the classics, Kit, Kit Kat, uh, Reese's, um, Snickers, you know, all the all the good stuff. I'm going to be attending a conference on Halloween, and I've been instructed by the conference that they will give us some candy, and the kids who are going to be attending the conference with their parents will be sent from room to room in the hotel. <laughs> to, we, we hang a little like trick-or-treat sign on the door, and then we will be able to give them candy. So it's like weird remote candy trick-or-treating, but we'll that do it. Is we'll do kind it. kind of weird. It is weird, right? <laughs> uh, we, Jason and Dan, you've been to my house. We never get trick-or-treaters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're the top of a long hill with um yeah so so we just at halloween we buy things for everyone so i get reese's peanut butter cups my daughters get smarties and twix um and we just kind of like enjoy ourselves nice. i tend to buy the uh packages with all the mixed hershey's stuff like hershey's and crackle and uh special dark and all that stuff oh, mr Goodbar. those are all the ways the ones i have left over <laughs> nobody likes mr Goodbar. well thank you all so much uh for all your candy thoughts and Kristen mergan thank you so much for being here Oh, thanks so much. It was great. Dan Frakes, thanks for coming back. Congratulations on the New York Times thing. I hope uh, you are going to like get billions and billions of dollars of it personally for that. Oh, if only. But thank you. All right. And that's it. Now, big news here, folks. Uh, Dan's going to be gone for a little while, um, traveling and stuff. And, I, and next week's episode is going to be live from my conference in Ireland uh, with at least Mike Hurley and I think Renee Ritchie and probably a special extra guest. We'll do that one live. Uh, and then I'll be back in the States the week after that, but without Dan. So, uh, Dan, I guess I'll see you sometime from your travels. Yeah, I'll, Have a I'll, good I'll, travel. I'll be back. I'll be back. Thank you. Oh. I'll be back in a few weeks. All right. But the, the but the show continues. The show must go on, as they say. Indeed, it must. And so, as always, and, and for the last time for a little while, Dan, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.